This podcast is brought to you by Future Women, a new home for women to come together online and in person. Become a member to gain full access to Future Women's content, events and community. Plus, our packed calendar of member-only social club events. For more details, head to futurewomen.com. Hello, I'm Brooke Boney, your host for season two of Next Generation Innovators, a podcast where we tap into the stories behind some of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs and how they've scaled their ideas into global businesses. So whether you're in business, you own one, or you dream of doing it yourself, these conversations will guide you through the ups and downs of startups, from ideation and development to investment and scale. Some of these women are incredibly inspiring and I cannot wait to share these conversations with you. Certainly I think the key thing was acknowledging my weaknesses and understanding my strengths because that allowed me to kind of lean into one and account for the other. Today's guest is serial entrepreneur Cyan to Eat. Cyan is the co-founder of Avanto Digital Assets Marketplace, Hey Tiger, an ethical chocolate company and Milkshake, an influencer social media tool. I have to say that it was actually my third effort at starting a business. Born in Sydney, she worked as a graphic designer before starting Avanto from a Bondi garage in 2006. In 2016, she debuted on the BRW Young Rich list when she was worth $186 million. In 2019, Avanto is valued at more than a billion dollars and Cyan and her husband Collis have entered the AFR Rich list with a net worth of $970. million. There's this idea somehow with entrepreneurs that it's the idea and I don't think it is. I think it's a, you know, it's a person getting good at putting a series of ideas out into the world and some of them work and some of them don't. She stepped back from the day-to-day running of Avanto to focus on other ventures, one of those being Hey Tiger, a social enterprise ethical chocolate company that donates a percentage of all bar sales to supporting cocoa farming communities in Ghana through a partnership with the Hunger Project Ghana. As the CEO of the company, she doesn't take a salary. Bottom line revenue or shareholder return being the only metric for success for a business is responsible for, you know, a lot of the honestly crappy things that happen in business that do a lot of damage. This year, Cyan launched Milkshake, an Instagram plug which creates beautiful websites for influencers. Future Women's Next Generation Innovators podcast is brought to you by Uber. Uber ignites opportunity by setting the world in motion. Uber believe good things happen when people can move, whether across town or toward their dreams. Opportunities appear, open up, become reality. What started as a way to tap a button to get a ride has led to billions of moments of human connection as people go all kinds of places in all kinds of ways with the help of Uber's technology. As you'll hear, Cyan is an entrepreneur who believes in businesses doing good, who loves the early stage hustle, an inspirational quote or two, and thinks entrepreneurship is a skill like any other. Practice makes perfect. You are listening to Future Women, Next Generation Innovators. Cyan, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's go back to the beginning. You're from a family of entrepreneurs and you started your first business from your parents' garage. What was the business and what did setting it up teach you? Well, 
I have to say that it was actually my third effort at starting a business, although the other two were not. One of them was was fine and the other one really was not successful at all. The first business that anyone would have ever heard of was Invato, which is the marketplace for digital goods for creative. Think like a curated eBay for designers and developers where people can buy and sell After Effects files, photos, video, audio, website themes, all sorts of things like that. And basically the idea sort of came about because I was a graphic designer and I was sort of freelancing a lot and uh, I, I said that I, you know, had a small agency but effectively freelancing with a couple of other people and it really felt like this would be a useful thing that didn't currently exist. And it being in 2006, there was a lot of um, a lot of ideas still waiting to be formed. So we kind of, without really thinking very far ahead, just uh, started fiddling around trying to make this thing. And then um, and then five months later, it was live and we were in a lot of debt and we kind of hustled <laughs> to make it all work. And so it was really born from a need that uh, you saw you needed. And, and then you thought, well, this doesn't exist. Why don't I just build it? Basically, yes. And I mean, I think there was there was small there were stock photography versions of what we were trying to do that already existed, but generally speaking, the people who sold the things so the the creatives who took the photographs um, would only make ten percent of each sale, and that kind of rankled me. I'm the daughter of a, of a photographer. I've always been surrounded by photographers and designers, and the idea that this nascent industry was skewed that way. I felt was a little bit unfair. So we saw the need and we that it could be done better and we decided just to go for it. And when I say we, I mean my husband and I, we, we started in Vato together. That is uh, a love story for the ages. <laughs> <laughs> I want to come back to Collis in just a minute. But first I want to ask you how, um, how did you raise money to get it started? I mean, I'm sure that that was, you know, you make it sound very easy, but I'm sure it wasn't as easy as what you're making out. Um, we did it in a really silly way. So I really would not advise anyone do it this way. <laughs> but effectively, we thought, oh, yeah, this will take a few weeks to build. It won't be a big deal. We'll get it live. It'll pay for itself. And um, and because we were so inexperienced, we didn't realize it was actually probably going to take about six months. So by the time we were finished, so we worked on it in the evenings and on the weekends. And during business hours, we took on as many freelance clients as we could to pay the bills. But even with that, we ended up maxing out our credit cards. Don't do that. That's a really silly idea, just so we're clear. Um, really, really bad way to find funding. Um, we maxed out our credit cards. We um, borrowed about $15,000 from my husband's parents, which was a massive amount of money um, for us at that point. And, um, and we ended up living in my parents' basement and working out of their garage, which, um, and they very kindly kind of uh, fed us and didn't, didn't um, worry too much about the fact that we decided to um, go down this really strange path. So um, it all sounds, you know, this this idea of the startup in the in the garage all sounds very glamorous now, and entrepreneurship has a kind of, you know, a buzzword around it. But really, you know, back in the day, we were living in my parents' basement and we were trying to start a random thing on the internet, which we'd some which for some reason we'd called Flash Den, which let's face it sounds like a porno site, <laughs> and like we were deeply in debt. And like really stressing out, and nobody thought that was cool or fashionable. All our friends was like, "We're like, what are you doing? 
what like what is wrong with you what are you yeah. doing yeah you've maxed out your credit cards your mom is washing your clothes what are you doing with your exactly. life but you stuck at it yeah well look I think by that time we were so much in debt that there was there was no choice and we had to hustle and it was actually one of the best things that could have happened because it meant, you know, we were working on this thing for two years trying to get it to gain traction because we'd, one of the great things was that nobody else was doing this. So, you know, there was a lot of free land to grab. The downside to that was we actually had to educate a market that they needed it. So we had to teach designers and developers that they could go and find these things that they would find useful that they'd never used before. Um, they were used to making everything from scratch. Uh, and we had to also train a whole other bunch of people that they should be making these things, despite there being no money in it yet and putting it online to sell. So it was um, it was a couple of years of pretty sort of uh, strong effort to get to the point where we felt like there was a customer base and a creator base and we could leverage that. And so you had your husband, Collis, by your side the, the whole time. How did you guys meet? Did you meet at work? Um, we were at um, well, university. So um, it was the uh, AGDA Australian Graphic Designers Association um, was trying to set up a student group um, called the AGDA Student Lab, and I was trying to help set that up. And Collis turned up to the official first meeting, um, and uh, and we, you know, we met and uh, and we just we started dating. And AGDA Student Lab didn't survive, but our relationship <laughs> did. So um, yeah, we met very young. And so you know, when you guys came together with the idea, was it? Did you have any sort of reluctance about working with your partner? We were already um, working together. So Collis was a web designer, and I was a graphic designer. And we'd started um, sort of developing a client base who effectively needed both. So we were both saying we had one one sort of employee, initial employee, um, who, to be fair, played like online gaming all the time when he thought we weren't looking. But you know, we um, we, we did have him, and uh, and so we'd been working together basically from the start. Which, in hindsight, you know, getting married and working together straight off the bat was um, was a uh, ambitious move, but it, it worked for us very well. And Envato has uh, regularly been voted a great place to work, probably by the guy who was sitting there playing video games as well. How important are <laughs> people to a business, do you think? I heard this really amazing um, quote, a really amazing way to describe this, and it was from there's a there's a documentary about Game of Thrones which came out which Game of when Game of Thrones ended I know I'm super cool but I watched it and I loved it <laughs> um, and there's a particular director who directed um, quite a few of the most kind of memorable Game of Thrones episodes like the Red Wedding and um, in it they were talking to him about what it was like working with this team of incredible people and he said I'm simply a conductor of fine musicians I just wave my arms around and. I thought that is the most apt description of what one actually does because there's this there's this myth that the entrepreneur is the kind of or the founder is the source of all but in fact I'm surrounded by incredibly talented people who've chosen to kind of chosen to work with me effectively um it is truly their choice because everyone wants them because they're really good at what they do and um, and effectively, you know, I'm just saying, hey, why don't we go over here? And they go, great, and they know exactly how to do it. So um, 
you know, it's one of those things where I always think it's a incredible privilege that I'm in the position that I am. And it is a, it is a privilege in the truest sense of the word, like, you know, something that is partly by virtue of circumstance and something that, you know, one needs to be conscious of and give back because of. And so I always think it's really important that we try and kind of make Invato and Hey Targa and whatever I'm involved in a really, you know, um, a really good place to work, which doesn't mean we always get it right, but it means that we're always, you know, we're always really trying to do a good job. I just want to tap into something that you just said there because um, you mentioned, you know, that you're grateful and, you know, that it's an opportunity and you feel very lucky. Um, but, you know, you've worked incredibly hard and all of the the things that you've done are a tribute to to you as a person and, you know, I'm sure that, uh, you know, at least a little bit of it is, is luck, but it's perseverance, it's hard work, it's, it's um, you know, it's you. And, and you have talked candidly about suffering from imposter syndrome and worrying about what other people think a little bit too much. How did that manifest itself as Envato grew and um, what steps did you take to overcome those sorts of feelings or... Are you still sort of suffering with it a little bit? I actually think I'm okay now. I think um, I went through this period where Envato grew very quickly and you're in your 20s and you're managing a lot of very experienced people. And I think it's very easy to think, geez Louise, you know, the big guys are here now. The big people are here now. Let's be gender neutral. And um and I, you know, um, and and what have you know, like, what do I have to contribute here? And I think imposter syndrome can really can really creep in. And I think my biggest mistake was for a long time I imagined that I had to be really good at everything, that I had to sort of to have every answer, that I had to be stronger in every mm. area. I think when I realised that I could have that I could have very clear strengths, but also very clear weaknesses, that would allow me to sort of be freed up from imposter syndrome because I could very simply say and know, you know, that's that's not my area. But look, I've got these amazing people over here who do those things. I think for a long time I had a feeling of being kind of found out that there had been some luck involved. I think I've come to the conclusion that for every single person who's gotten anywhere, there is some luck involved from the point of view of what parents you were born with or, you know, or what education you had or whether luck was with you when you were starting something, whatever it might be. I think over time I've just become a lot more, a lot more comfortable with it. But certainly I think the key thing was acknowledging my weaknesses and understanding my strengths because that allowed me to kind of lean into one and account for the other and not worry so much about what others thought of me. Yeah. And I guess it is such a huge part of startup culture and, um, being an entrepreneur is that you know you're doing something that hasn't been done before you are taking a different approach to what has been taken before so it's easy to sort of question yourself but then I guess once you start seeing those accolades roll in it's pretty easy to to Mm -hmm. check those at the door speaking of which Mm -hmm. you made the AFR's rich list this year Um, how did that feel it's a funny thing it feels very um far from my reality like it's um it's one of those things where I think okay that's really interesting um what a surreal thing to have happen it wasn't what I thought was going to happen in my life so that's really you know that that's a lovely thing I have to say that Invato is not listed we've never taken any funding 
So there has never been any independent um, validation of whatever valuation the AFR believes that we have. You know, it's speculative. The sort of the valuation that Envato has is is speculative by the AFR. So I always think, oh, well, you know, I'm sure they really know what they're doing, but proof is in the pudding. I need to kind of put that over to the side a little bit. But I think what I always really think about is that it's um, one of those things where if you're conscious of, I guess, I guess the realities of what is happening in the world around the gap between rich and poor that you go, all right, if I'm on that list, I better be doing something useful. If I, if I have, if I'm privileged enough that I'm on this list, I better be a useful human and, and try my best to do some good stuff and be helpful in some way in the world. And you are, you are helpful and useful (laughs) in lots of ways to the world, I would say. Um, One of the, uh, the, companies that you started is uh, the New Day Box. Um, tell me a little bit about that. It's a philanthropic giving circle. Basically, it is a, a way for people, and it's mostly women who, who end up doing it, but for anybody, to um, make a box and uh, usually a shoe box and fill it with skincare and cosmetics and really whatever they'd like, little goodies, and it gets delivered to a woman in family violence crisis accommodation at Christmas. And I started it, quite honestly, it was by accident to some degree. I was looking for something um, little that the Envato team could do because um, we were trying to, with a mostly um, a majority male um, employee base, were looking for a way that we could begin to discuss and address family violence within Invato and you know by a sort of a turn of events that I won't get get into here because it's a long story um, my phone number ended up accidentally sent to a huge number of crisis workers who then all called me and told me just how useful it would be if they could receive these boxes at Christmas they told me these women often arrive with just the children their children and their clothes the clothes on their backs that often they hadn't received a present for a very long time and um, and that they were really conscious of making Christmas nice for their children but it was actually an um, incredibly harrowing time for them and a time when um, you know one of the busiest times of year in family violence crisis accommodation and a time when they had um, a lot of people actually going back to abusive mm. relationships because it was just too hard so I at the end of every phone call I'd say yep absolutely we will, you know, we'll get you some boxes. And by the end of it, um, I realized I'd committed to hundreds and hundreds of shoe boxes of skincare and cosmetics and the Envato team wasn't going to be able to manage it themselves. So mm-hmm. I sort of luckily had an incredible team of women that I worked with and a couple of men said, yep, you know, who overheard me on all these phone calls and said, yep, we'll, um, we'll do it with you. Let's, let's get started. That is just an incredible story. And, um, I I was looking at the New Day Box um, website uh, when I was doing research um, to speak to you, and I just I started crying because it is such an incredible idea, and um, I haven't you know mentioned this before, but I actually spent time in crisis accommodation when I was a child in like domestic violence shelters, and I just thought this is perfect you know we used to get those sort of Vinnie's hampers and with presents and things like that and you know these sorts of things really do make a difference to people's lives and how incredible that you someone who is now on the AFR's rich list is turning their incredible brain to something like this 
So thank you and congratulations. Oh, um, no, look, it's, it's just... uh, you know, again, I'm oftentimes I am the face behind a bunch of people working with the face in front of a bunch of people working incredibly hard to make something happen. And that's certainly the case with New Day Box. And what I found so touching about doing it was the number of people even at Invato, who um, the number of men who it turns out had um, been in crisis accommodation as children and mm. got behind it with such kind of um, enthusiasm because they felt that their mum would have really like could have really done with something like that when they were in there. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, it's been very touching and things like that always remind you of the incredible goodness of people. And to anyone who wants her phone number, it's 041922. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I would never do that to you. <laughs> now, you've since um, you've stepped back from Envato and you're focusing on your other ventures, but you are still um, you're on the board. And uh, what what has the transition been like from from working um, at Envato to, to working on Hey Tiger and um, and the New Day Box as well. For me, it's it was you know it's been a really wonderful thing to be able to um, to be a part of Envato as it's grown and to you know um, need to learn how to understand things like international tax law and what you know human resources looks like across, you know, 600 people in Australia and in Mexico. And, you know, like it's, it's a, I always think, wow, this is an incredible opportunity really to learn about this stuff. But I came away from it and I think, you know, some people in my, in who've had my sort of work-life experience go, great, I'm going to be on a lot of boards now. And, um, and I find that really interesting. And I am not that person. What I find I'm useful at and what I really enjoy is the early stages of a new of, of a new idea, a new startup idea. Um, and I feel that I really enjoy it and I can provide a lot of value to it and I like getting my hands dirty into it and, and kind of figuring out how it's all going to work. So, um, so I, I love the days that I get to spend at Invarto. Um still doing kind of the bits and pieces where I'm useful, but there's honestly, there's a really, you know, very strong team of people who um, who do it a lot better than I do these days. And, uh, and yeah, and being on the board is just a, a, you know, a nice way to stay involved and ensure that it continues to um, to be the sort of business that, that, you know, we want it to be. So that's really interesting. So when did you identify that your skills were more in the, um, you know, the early development stages and the thinking of a great idea stage and quickly getting it to market rather than, um, you know, the, the parts that come after that. How important would you say is that in um, in startup um, culture? So I think that, good question. I think there are some types of startup founders who launch things, get them started and then sell them and then go on to the next thing. Now, I've never been particularly good at the selling. I've never sold <laughs> I've never sold any business that I have started, um, but I've handed it off to more capable hands. And, um, and I think that from the early stages, that's what I really enjoyed doing. Um, and uh, and I, just, I guess I learned that about myself. And I realized um, that I realized, I think, that I'd been doing a lot of the um, – director high level running of Invato for a while and within Invato for quite some time I'd been starting 
sort of, you know, um, small, small sort of startup ideas to then see if they had legs. And I wanted to do that again, but something different outside of, you know, outside of Envato. And so Hey Tiger was a hobby for you. That is that right? Those those early experiments in your home test kitchen <laughs> sound pretty delicious. Yeah, it was it was um I, I sort of I think that if you if you have an idea rather than betting the farm straight off the bat, test it as leanly as you can. So I kind of I did every day after work I I got into the kitchen and I made chocolate bars and then I made my family taste them, which they were very happy about. I've got two boys and they were delighted. Um, And uh, and then after that, after I felt like, oh, yeah, you know, I I think this is okay. I got some friends to try it. And then eventually I did some blind A-B testing with with, um, the Invato team without telling them that it was my chocolate, which is a long, a long story, um, and made made me and my um, assistant seem very, very strange. But I got the proof <laughs> that I needed that our chocolate, the chocolate that we were making, that I was making at the time, was actually, you know, good and better. What was better than what was in the market? And um, and then from there, I started devoting one day a week, then two days a week, then three days a week, and kind of, you know, built it, built it over time. No wonder everyone wants to work at Envato when you're playing tricks on them with chocolate. That's a dream job. I know. Yeah, well, I, I, we, uh, admittedly, there are regular Hey Tiger updates and chocolate tastings at Envato, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think <laughs> And strange. so Hey Tiger has a brand first strategy. Why, why is that so important? And tell me a little bit about the social media part of that as well. So I think that with... Hey Tiger, what I've found really interesting about Envato is the good that it's been able to do by virtue of it being a successful business, that it's able to do all sorts of interesting things like um, apprenticeship for women developers, um, you know, all sorts of things like that. And so I, I became more and more engaged and I am still very engaged with this concept of purpose being you know, a really interesting area to focus on in a business. And I think that um, actually when you think about it, bottom line revenue or shareholder return being the only metric for success for a business is responsible for, you know, a lot of the honestly crappy things that happen in business that do a lot of damage. So the concept of a social enterprise where it was completely purpose-driven, like we are here to do our best work and to solve this problem and shareholder return does not come into it there is no shareholder return to me was really interesting so with hey tiger i knew i wanted it to be a social enterprise but what i loved the idea of was that it was how do i describe this it was a social enterprise under the hood so you could fall in love with it because it was a great product with a great brand you then sort of when you learn more about it you realize that it existed for purpose as well and i thought that was you know just an interesting space figure out. Um, I was just having a giggle because I was thinking social enterprise in the sheets, money maker on the streets. <laughs> That's how I would describe that. I mean, That's feel free to use amazing. it if you want. So. Yeah, I'm totally going to use that. That is amazing. <laughs> um <laughs> Some of them can come across a little bit that way, like a bit Debbie Do-Gooder. Yeah, a bit too earnest. 
Yes. And I thought, no, I want this to, I want to make this a genuinely really cool brand with a great product. And, you know, it also happens to do this other stuff, but that's not, you know, that can be considered the base level that a business could do. Like this can be a business which has people earning, you know, good salaries, doing amazing work, but at its core, there's this really strong reason, which is effectively, you know, in our case, um, trying to make a meaningful difference for cocoa farming communities in West Africa and um, and make a difference to the level of child labour on cocoa farms. So there's 2.2 million children in um, in cocoa farms in West Africa. Wow. Um, so that's what we're trying to address. But it kind of makes sense that, you know, business, that capitalism, it, with capitalism at its best, all parties rise in the transaction, not just some. Yeah, I love that you've turned that idea um, really on its head, you know, that the idea of doing good and making money out mutually exclusive goals. It's, it's incredible. You are clearly someone with lots of ideas. How do you decide what is worth focusing on? Like, are there ideas that you've had that haven't gone the way that you've thought and how do you decide when how do you decide when it's time to just let go of something and then move on so a hundred percent many 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 ideas to be clear um have not worked out and i found that i've had to become um quite critical and quite unemotional so I do as much testing as I can before I've brought on anyone else because obviously as soon as you've hired somebody, you're making a commitment that you're going to kind of um, see an idea through as far as you can. But really testing it out with the resources that I have available to the extent that I can with very clear metrics of success. It needs to be at this size by this point and it needs to have this sort of revenue and it needs to be able to be, you know, run with these kind of resources. And if it doesn't hit those then I I will shut it down but again that's when there aren't you know I think that is only possible and I think I've got the kind of the luxury of having people that I can get to work on a project and then put them on another project if it doesn't work out but I think that those really clear success metrics are very important and I think there's this idea somehow with entrepreneurs that it's the idea and I don't think it is I think it's a you know it's a person getting good at putting a series of ideas out into the world and some of them work and some of them don't. So what you're saying is that you should have very clearly identified goals and timeframes and if you're not meeting those, just to toss the idea to the side, start working on your next thing and don't beat yourself up too much about it. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's very easy as you know, somebody who wants to start businesses or wants to be an entrepreneur to go, this is the idea and if it fails, that means it's something about me. And quite honestly, most of the time, you know, I've seen heaps of good ideas and sometimes the market's just not with you or a big competitor comes to get you or, you know, you suddenly realise, oh, actually, this isn't this isn't viable or, you know, this won't suit my life. I don't enjoy doing this. There are a multitude of reasons why an idea might not be the right idea. And I think if you take a bit of a tack of it either, you know, meets my criteria or it doesn't. And um, if not, I'm going to move on and sort of and, and, and keep looking for the right idea. And every time, it's like going to the gym, you, every time you sort of you, you get more muscle, mm. you get more entrepreneur muscle. You learn the lessons that you, you know, that you picked up during the one before and the one before that. And 
And because you were saying... Absolutely. Because some people who have had these sort of big ideas that we know them for now, that could be like their fourth or fifth idea. Absolutely. So it very frequently is. And I'd say I'm easily, you know, 20 business ideas in at this point. And, you know, a lot of them ended up ended up in the rubbish bin because they just didn't work out. But, you know, I just kept plugging away at it and um, and kept on sort of seeing what worked and what stuck. So I like to say, <laughs> does it have legs or does it not? And, you know, it, I, it it's nice. It takes away the pressure mm. of, I think there's a very human feeling of, was I good enough to do this or not? And I think that's folly. I think actually it's about, was the idea good enough or not? Mm. And if not, you move on to the next one. You know, people are going to be going through your garbage now for those ideas that you've thrown out because they're probably (laughs) excellent. Now, one of the ideas um, that you have stuck with and that you have launched is Milkshake. Tell us a little bit about that. How did the launch go? Um, Look, it's going really well. So Milkshake is effectively um, a really simple um, web builder that you can, which is an app which you use by Instagram on your phone. And it was really born from... um, the influencers that we were meeting um, with Hey Tiger. So Hey Tiger has quite a kind of a um, a visually interesting unboxing experience. So if you receive it in the mail and you open it up, it looks very pretty and it's quite exciting in my humble opinion. Um, And so we were finding, you know, that these would be sent, you know, Hey Tiger boxes would be sent to an influencer and suddenly you'd get a 10 times revenue in online sales just because they said, oh, look, this looks delicious. So I started paying attention to um, these people with these incredible Instagram followings and um, and I really started to respect what they were doing more and more um, in terms of being incredible business people because, you know, you, you might think it's not complex to sort of reach that level at Instagram, but it's a lot more complicated than it looks and a lot more sophisticated and often these, oftentimes these people are wearing a lot of different entrepreneurial hats. But I found that oftentimes they didn't have um, a really good web presence. And when I chatted to them, they'd say, oh, well, I do my business on my phone. So I basically work from my phone. Every other web builder is on desktop and it's difficult to use and I wasn't that keen on the design of it. So we looked at that critically and thought, well, what if we, um, we created something that was really easy to use on your phone um, you could, you know, scroll through at any point and change the aesthetic of it, change the design. So it's a it's a fun, intuitive, quick experience, and it can be used very elegantly for your LinkedIn bio. And and um, and so far, people are really enjoying it. We're getting great feedback, and it's it's spreading, which is very exciting. So you've said in the past that startup founders shouldn't aim to quit their day jobs. Why is that? I think that. I think what I'm what I'm trying to get at when I say that is that you often hear somebody saying, oh, well, in five years' time, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to invest everything into the idea. And that always worries me because I think the way that they might be much better at entrepreneurship than, than I am or I was, but the way I started was I had... I tried to do a jewelry business. Then I, you know, was a graphic designer and I tried to start a graphic design business. And then I started Flashed In and then I started, you know, a bunch of other startups within that. I always had, you know, when I was younger, I had the security, you know, the safety net that I could go live with my parents if things didn't work out. Um, I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have, you know, kids yet. So I really could take some risks, but I found I learned a huge amount every single time. So 
my advice is always, look, just try and start something on the side and then, you know, for your first foray and get used to putting something out into the world, being detached from it, using it to learn. And then if you, you know, if you've launched something and it's going really well, then, you know, sure, quit your job and focus on that. But don't go in and do it blind and go, okay, this is a big thing. I'm going to work for myself now because I feel like that's a really high risk way of, uh, of, finding out uh, about what it's like to be an entrepreneur and what it's like to sort of run your own business. Yeah, that is an excellent piece of advice. What would be your one, you know, sort of golden rule piece of advice for female entrepreneurs? Good question. Um, I think that, you know, what I've always told myself is if the worst that happens is that I've solved my own problem with this new idea, then that's a win. And I, I do think, I know I'm, I'm going back to, you know, making it about whether you can hack it or you can't, but I think that, um, that it's very easy to be very critical of yourself when you decide to become an entrepreneur. And I think a lot of people maybe who have a lot, of, a lot to prove decide to become entrepreneurs. And I think I'd, you know, I'd sort of be saying be, you know, be kind to yourself um, and, uh, and, and, don't focus so much on the destination, focus on the process, focus on the experience of doing it every day. And hopefully you'll, you'll get to do something that you'll get a lot of joy out of and really enjoy. And, um, and you can build something on your own terms. What I, what I find really interesting about a lot of the women entrepreneurs that I know, and, um, and interestingly, Kate Morris, who founded Adore Beauty, gave this as context as to why there were potentially less women on the rich list than there were men is because they create businesses that serve their lives and serve their communities in more of a meaningful way. But I think that, you know, if you create a business which pays your salary where you love doing the work every day, you can live comfortably and you can live life on your own terms. So you can, you know, engineer a life, which means you have a fantastic life, but that is an incredible win. You know, we are taught to believe that somehow it's all about the bottom line, it's all about revenue and it's all about, you know, those things. And I don't know, I actually don't know that it necessarily is. I think finding joy in the process mm. is really the key to it all. The women in your family have been huge uh, driving forces. Tell me about your great-grandmother and your mother and uh, what they've taught you? All the all girls. The, all the women. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't realise how unusual my great-grandmother was until I sort of, I don't know, until probably about five years ago. I just sort of, for whatever reason, didn't occur to me to kind of think how unusual it was to have such a strong matriarch um, who professionally was such a kind of a, a force of nature for her generation. She had, uh, she'd gotten married and had two young daughters during the Depression and she, uh, like, he left her and she was like, what do I do now? So she started out, she had a series of businesses. She started out by somehow, and nobody in the family is quite certain how she managed to do this through charm and kind of guiles and savvy, um, setting up a little deli and made that profitable. And from there, you know, she had a boarding house. And at one point she had a, a cookie manufacturing plant. And eventually she moved to Coolangatta with her, her um, third husband, who was a lot younger than her by that time, like... Oh, great granny. I know, like 25 years younger than her, I think he was. And just, you know, he's my Uncle Jack and he's just amazing, such a wonderful man. I love that. Um, And clearly loved a strong woman. 
he uh, they moved up to Coolangatta and um, and she basically set up a building company and you know like you she'd go in and she'd tell these builders what to do and she was carrying concrete around in her heels and you know she was absolutely this incredible force of nature who never sort of saw any of the barriers that anyone else saw I had this this person throughout my childhood um she passed away when I was 16 I think but um but I you know I had this person throughout my childhood who just believed that anything was possible and people just needed to get out of the way for um, what you wanted and was incredibly sort of bright and loving and intense and you know everything you might want but she and a bunch of other members of my family um they you know all either Greek or Irish immigrants they started their own businesses and they were really in Australia at that time. They were the bottom of the heap. And, you know, my grandfather, who was Greek, you know, like he wanted to get a job. He wanted to work as a mechanic and he turned up and they said, I'm sorry, we saved these jobs for the, you know, for the Australian sellers. And, um, and he ended up owning a milk bar, but he worked up from nothing. Like he had nothing. They all did. And so it was very, very normal in my family to go, right, I'm going to start something myself. I think that a lot of people find the concept of working for yourself stressful or starting a business stressful. And I always think it was a wonderful thing that that was considered very normal and something to be supported and encouraged in my family. It's an amazing thing, isn't it, to to realise that your, you know, your frame of reference for what is a difficult life or what's challenging is totally different from from those who are only, you know, just a couple of generations above us. I mean, to have literally nothing. I mean, we've got the security of, of being mm. able to move home. I mean, obviously it would be terribly embarrassing for me to move home at 32, but you know what I mean. You're not <laughs> going to go hungry. You're not going to be vagrant. I know. Um, but for people who'd come from overseas, they literally had nothing. So what is the motto that you live by and why? Um, I love quotes and I have quite a quite a few. Hashtag blessed, <laughs> hashtag honoured. <laughs> Hashtag grateful. Exactly. So I'm like, oh, how do I choose one? But I think I really do love a ship in port is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. I always kind of, you know, think back to that. I love the quote by Clementine Paddleford where um, she says, um, never grow a, a wishbone daughter where your backbone ought to be. For some reason, I always imagine my, my grandmother saying that to me, even though she never did. That is the sort of thing that she would say. No, I'll stop. I'll stop going on about all these different quotes now. But, um, but generally ones that kind of say, you know, like go out and do the interesting things and don't be afraid. And if you fall down, it doesn't matter. Just get back up. You are truly an inspiration. Thank you so much for joining us on the Future Woman podcast. Thanks, Brooke. It was great. That was the extremely talented and inspirational Cyan Taid. You can follow Hey Tiger at Hey Tiger Co and Milkshake at go.milkshake. Future Women's Next Generation Innovators podcast is brought to you by Uber. Uber ignites opportunity by setting the world in motion. Uber believe good things happen when people can move, whether across town or toward their dreams. Opportunities appear, open up, become reality. What started as a way to tap a button to get a ride has led to billions of moments of human connection as people go all kinds of places in all kinds of ways with the help of Uber's technology. I'm Brooke Boney. Thank you for listening to our chat. Don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Give us a rating. And if you're in the mood, leave us a review. Thank you.